Starting Saturday, March 21st through Sunday, March 29th, supporters from all over the nation will run or walk 3.1 miles to make a difference for rare disease. The first annual Denim Dash 5K Run Walk for Rare Disease is a virtual race created by Orphan Drug Solutions and Global Genes. You've got the flexibility to participate wherever and whenever is most convenient for you. Run or walk any time between March 21st and March 29th and raise awareness and funds to support families affected by rare disease. Register today and get your race packet at givehope.globalgenes.org forward slash denim 5k. It's that easy. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Though there are almost 7,000 rare diseases, Less than 500 drugs have been approved to treat any one of them. What that means for millions of people with a rare disease is that there's no approved treatment they can use. There is, however, a growing effort to look at drugs approved for other uses and repurpose them to treat rare diseases in which they might be effective. We spoke to Julia Jenkins, Executive Director of the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases, about why repurposing approved drugs could greatly increase the available treatments for rare diseases. What draft legislation would do to encourage drug makers to pursue these opportunities, and why experiences from past legislation suggest the approach could be quite effective. Julia, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me here today. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the important legislation that's affecting the rare disease community. We're going to talk about various pieces of legislation today that could could help encourage the development of drugs to treat rare diseases and, and also change the patient role in drug development. But I thought it would be helpful to start with the need. What's the universe of rare diseases and, and how big a therapeutic gap do we have in their treatment? Sure. So there is approximately 30 million Americans affected by rare disease. Um, that's one in 10 Americans. Uh, there were 17 new drugs approved for rare diseases last year, which is a huge um, win for the community. But there's still less than 500 drugs approved for nearly 7,000 rare diseases. So the need is really overwhelming. Well, there are many drugs on the market today that are approved for one use, but could provide benefit to a rare disease patient. Drug makers, though, don't generally explore potential rare disease applications of their already approved drugs. Why is that? Well, I mean, drug makers do look for other indications. So repurposing is quite common. But for um, any business, you have to balance the risk of benefit of um, making a decision. And drug makers are having to balance the risk of studying their drugs in a very sick population, like rare diseases or pediatric cancer, with how many more patients they could add to the label. So if there are adverse effects in the repurposing trial, it could really jeopardize their label indication, and the benefit would only be having a few hundred patients on the drug. So it, it just does not outweigh the risk. 
Well, the Orphan Product Extension Now Accelerating Cures and Treatments Act, or the OPEN Act, put forward by your organization, seeks to incentivize drug makers to repurpose approved therapeutics for rare disease indications. What exactly would the act do? Sure. So the act gives a drug maker a six-month market exclusivity extension that protects the drug from generic competition if it receives an orphan indication on the label. So it basically switches the risk-benefit ratio by giving more benefit to the drug maker. Uh, The OPEN Act is modeled on the Best Pharmaceuticals for Children's Act, which provides an additional six months of exclusivity for drug makers that do specific pediatric trials for their drugs. How well has that worked? So in the Institute of Medicine report, it was um, indicated that off-label use due to BPCA actually dropped by 20% in the pediatric population, which is significant. And since 1998, there have been over 400 label changes um, indicating whether a drug is safe for children. So just imagine if there were 400 drugs given rare disease indications in the next 20 years. We could potentially double the number of available treatments. Let's talk about the, the incentive here. How significant an incentive would be granting six months of exclusivity to a drug maker? Any sense what that's, that's worth? I mean, for a major blockbuster drug, it could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. We've gotten feedback from companies who believe the incentive is enough and that they would be interested in repurposing if it was available. Uh, also, the bill is supported by more than 135 patient organizations, so the community feels that this bill is very important. And our um, co-sponsors, bipartisan co-sponsors in the House, Representative Bill Rackus from Florida and Representative Butterfield from North Carolina, really ha- feel that this bill is a priority and they, they really want to do something big for the community. Let's talk about repurposing itself. Why is that an attractive strategy for expanding treatments for rare diseases? Sure. So repurposing trials um, are often quicker and cheaper than the traditional 15-year, you know, hundreds of million dollar drug development. Safety is already known. The company already has experience with the drug, and they have a team in place. So it's something that they could mobilize on quickly. But most importantly, we see this as an opportunity really to balance out the cost pressures of orphan products. So um, these major market drugs that will be repurposed for rare diseases will be priced at major market drug prices, which will really offset the cost pressures of the specialty life-saving drugs that are also being developed. Any sense on how big uh, a potential opportunity this represents? Are, are there many drugs on the market today that are thought to be potentially effective for treating a rare disease? Yeah, so we actually, you know, really looked into this and, um, you know, gathered a few examples and that sort of thing. But, you know, kind of anecdotally, I joined some of our patients in their meetings with members of Congress last week on the Hill. And in every meeting, at least one patient was using a drug off-label or was trying to get to be able to use a drug off-label. So if we just start with that low-hanging fruit, with all the drugs that are being used off-label in the rare disease community, the opportunity is really huge. And when a patient tries to use a drug that's off-label, is that because a doctor has suggested this might be effective or they've read something in the literature? How, how does that generally come about? I think it's a lot of different ways. You know, the, the community is really connected to each other um, socially, either through support organizations or Facebook. So, um, you know, someone might be, you know, using a drug 
um, that they get from their doctor or someone might have read about it or they learned about it at a scientific conference. Um, you know, a lot of our patients are their own physicians, right? They're the ones that are having to do the research because there aren't experts in the field. Um, though we are aware of, you know, some researchers who have looked at drugs and think that they might be um, potentially benefit for the rare disease community, and they literally can't get the drug company interested in studying the drug. So, um, you know, off-label use is sometimes the only option for the patient community. We think of repurposing drugs that are that are approved for other uses, and, and the Open Act encouraging uh, drug makers to seek repurposing them for rare diseases. But would this apply to drugs approved for rare diseases as well? Yes, it actually does. It actually um, works for major market drugs, orphan products, and for biologics. Our sponsors really felt that they want to do something big for the community and make you know as many drugs available for this incentive as possible. And at the same time, would there be any limit on the number of extensions a single drug could get? Yes, a single drug could only get one orphan extension. However, if it is a rare pediatric disease, a rare pediatric cancer, um, this extension would stack onto the BPCA extension. So for um, pediatric diseases, they would get a full year extension. And, and would, would a company be able to sell this extension to another company? At the current language, no, they could not. They couldn't. Is, no. is there any thought of, of changing that? Um, you know, it's sausage-making process in the legislature. Uh, we don't necessarily have a ton of control of what the final language will be. I think whatever is the most politically favorable language will, will emerge. I know there are some other pieces in um, the 21st Century Cures Initiative that do have that, um, you know, transferability that is really valuable. I don't know if this is something that um, would be available here since really we model this on Best Pharmaceuticals for Children's Act and that is not allowed in that current provision. Well, let's talk about the 21st Century Cures Act, which the OPEN Act is now being incorporated into. That's a broad piece of legislation intended to accelerate the development of new drugs and devices. Among the more interesting things the legislation seems to do is formalize the role of patients and give voice to them. What will that mean to patients with rare diseases? Sure. So I just want to be clear. There is no piece of legislation right now. It is currently just a discussion draft. Um, we worked really hard to make sure the Open Act was a part of that discussion draft, but it will be really hard to predict what's going to be in the final bill. I do know that Chairman Upton and Representative Taget are committed to making sure the legislation really puts patients first, and the patient community right now has the opportunity to help shape what the provisions are going to look like. So especially with what is, you know, how is that role in the um, drug development process for patients going to take shape, that's really going to be up to the patient community that, that plays a role in the development of this. You know, there are other provisions as well. It, it does seem to be quite conscious, though, of, of really incorporating the patient into the, the drug development process in a way that it hasn't before. And wondering, from, from a patient advocacy point of view, you know, how significant is that effort? You know, this effort was actually started as part of the Food and Drug Safety and Innovation Act passed in FIDASIA, uh, or it was called FIDASIA, passed in 2012. Um, so I, I do believe they're trying to build on this. I think it's still really too soon to tell what it will actually uh, accomplish. 
And many organizations, you know, such as Parent Project Muscular Dystrophy, are working on different um, possibilities of, of the way the patient voice could be included. Well, one of the challenges regulators face is, is balancing safety and, and patient access. How good a job does the 21st Century Cures Act, as it's contemplated now, do with this balance? And, and how does it seek to change that balance? Well, what's the implication for accelerating new rare disease therapies? So, I, I, again, just be careful. The, the, it's just a draft. Um, there's no word of whether or not this current draft will end up um, looking anything like an actual piece of legislation. Um, the, the draft currently has a lot of placeholder language, so it's hard to really get a full feel of what actually the bill is going to achieve. Um, but it's, it's really up to the community right now to, to make that decision and give feedback to both the House and the Senate on what they feel um, is the appropriate balance between safety and patient access. Julia Jenkins, Executive Director for the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases. Julia, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. If you'd like to hear how one rare disease-focused company is pursuing a repurposing strategy, listen to last week's Rarecast with Recursion Pharmaceutical CEO Chris Gibson. To learn more about the 21st Century Cures Act, Listen to our sister podcast, The Bio Reports Interview, with Nick Minetto of Figer BD. Over on our sister podcast, The Bio Report, tune in to hear Dave Thomas, Director of Industry Research and Policy Analysis at the Biotechnology Industry Organization, discuss his recent report on changing patterns of venture capital investment in therapeutic R&D and why it raises some concerns. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.